Amen. Well, our uh, reading this morning is from the book of James. James chapter 3, we read from verse 1, it's page 1214 in your pew Bibles, 1214, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Amen. So it will not surprise you, given the children's talk that we've just heard and the passage that we've just read, uh, to know that we are going to be thinking about the tongue, the taming of the tongue today. And, and James picks up that theme in verse 2 of the third chapter of his letter. But before we come to verse 2, there is, unsurprisingly, verse 1. And I don't want to kind of conveniently jump over verse 1. It's a challenging verse, and I think it's important that we spend a moment to think about what it means. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What does that mean? Well, if we take a step away from that verse for a moment, I think we'll be led into an understanding of what James means. So we could start with the the verses that we read at the start of the service from Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one and boast. So we're saved by grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No one could question that this is the belief that the Apostle Paul held to. Well, not rightly anyway. It seems crystal clear to me. And so the question that might be raised as we read these verses is this. Is the Apostle Paul saying that works don't matter? Is the Apostle Paul saying that it doesn't matter how you live your lives because it's all about grace? Well, nothing could be further from the truth. So the very next verse in Ephesians 2 says this. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are expected to live lives which make sense, given our new birth in Christ, our new creation in Christ, our new identity in Christ, as children of God and followers of Jesus and dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. The two things are separate, Uh, grace and works, they're different things, but they come together as a package. The grace that saves sanctifies. Uh, Calvin compares it, we, we read this a few weeks ago, Calvin compares it to the sun. The sun brings to us or sends to us heat and light They are different things, but they come together. 
as a package. Grace and works are, are separate things. They are different things, but they come to us together in Christ. And if your life looks as though you have one of these things but not the other, then something somewhere has gone badly wrong. So neither Paul nor James believe in grace without works or works without grace. We are saved by grace alone, but the grace that saves us does not come alone. It changes us. It makes us more like Jesus. It gives us a new heart that wants to live in a way which brings joy to our Father and glory to the name of our Lord. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And actually, Paul goes one step further. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, to believers, to brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, he says that all of us will stand before God's judgment seat, and each of us will give an account of ourselves before God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So that's not to say that we will come before the judgment seat with fear that we will be condemned. We are secure. We are safe. He will keep us. We are free from fear. Our sins have been forgiven. But we will come before God we will be asked to explain what we have done with what He has given us, how we have used the gifts that He has given to us to work for Him. And so little wonder that James says, as we come back to James now, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. To teach is a great responsibility. It's a great privilege. It's a great joy. And it's a great burden. Because from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. I have been given the time and the training and the tools with which to speak. And I will give an account for the things that I have said and for the things that I have not said, for the way in which I have said what I have said. I will give an account before God as to how I used the time and the training and the tools and the opportunity that the Lord has given to me to speak in the name of Jesus to the people of Jesus. And we will all give an account to God for the way in which we have used the things that God has given to us, the gifts that God has given to us to work for Him. So how are you doing with the things that God has given to you that you might serve Him, that you might honor Him, that you might make His name known? How are you doing? 
So we'll all give an account, but James seems concerned not only that people are jumping into roles without thinking about responsibilities, he seems concerned particularly over those who are jumping into the role of being teachers, whether it's teachers like this from the front and speaking to everyone or just coming alongside small groups of people and seeking to teach. He's, he's especially concerned about this because of the power of the tongue. Teachers have a lot of opportunities to use our tongues to speak to others. And James knows the power of the tongue for good and for bad. Solomon says the power of life and death are in the tongue. James has already kind of flagged up this issue of the tongue, and now he takes some time to reflect on its power for good or for evil, for life or for death, for light or for dark. And he gives us a few pictures to help us to see what he wants us to see. So first point, firstly, verses 1 to 4, the tongue has the power to direct or to steer. And the, picture that he, the pictures that he gives to us are firstly of a boat and secondly of a bit. So, why don't we do what James asks us to do in verse 4 and think about a ship? Picture a ship in your mind. And let's make it a big ship. One of those ships with swimming pools and gyms and jacuzzis and cinemas and ballrooms. One of those ships that's, you know, the height is measured in stories and the, the length is measured in the amount of football pitches you could have lined up along the top of the ship. Think of a ship like that, enormous in size and in scale and in weight, all directed by a rudder that is teensy, tiny, in proportion to the greatness of the ship that it steers. Therein lies a picture of each of our lives. We are all different shapes and sizes. But for all of us, our tongue is a tiny percentage of the size and the weight of our bodies. I actually, believe it or not, found the percentage, the weight percentage of an average person, uh, tongue compared to the rest of the body. And the person who, who, who quoted it said, I've no way of finding out whether that's true or not. Uh, certainly not without causing myself a lot of pain, so I'll just trust it. But it was like a tenth of one percent or something. It's tiny. Your tongue is tiny compared to the rest of your body. But what an impact your tongue has on your life. To steer and to direct to lead you to certain places, to 
certain circumstances, to certain situations. And we can probably all think of some very significant, pivotal points in our lives where we have used our tongues, we have used our words in ways which have led us to one place and not to another place. We can think back, maybe those of us who are married, to the time that we got down on one knee and we proposed, knowing that that proposal could lead us, you know, off in one direction. Or maybe you were the one who was proposed to. And you can think of that time where you said, yes, I will. What an impact those few words in that little moment in both of your lives have had. Or you can think of other moments, I'm sure. You've accepted a job offer. Maybe that offer has taken you to a whole different country, other cultures. You've met people that you would never have met had you not accepted that job offer. All sorts of moments in our lives, pivotal moments where we have spoken something, we have said something, and it's led us in a particular direction. That is true, but the reality is this. We set our course often by the very ordinary things that we see in the very ordinary moments of our lives. Just very gradually we begin to steer ourselves in a certain direction. Our tongues are pivotal in setting the course for the lives that we live. Sometimes that's very clear, but usually it's very subtle and very gradual. But there's something more in this illustration that James uses, isn't there? Verse 4, James says, Take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds. I think it's significant that he says that. They are steered by a, by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. So sometimes the pilot will say to the ship, as it were, you have to go this way. And that will involve going against the, the power of the tides, the power of the, the waters under the ship. Sometimes it will involve going against the power of the wind, which is above the water. It might be pushing the ship one way. But the pilot says no, and he steers the rudder against the waves or against the winds to, to, to take the ship where it needs to go. And that is certainly true in our Christian lives, as we thought about with the boys and girls and the children's talk. Sometimes we have to go against the winds of our culture. Sometimes we have to go against the waves or the, the tides which would want to carry us along, to sweep us away. Sometimes we have to set our course intentionally. We have to be careful not to be swept away. We have to guard what we say, how we speak. Sometimes if we're going to speak in a godly way, sometimes if we're going to refuse to speak in an ungodly way, then we'll find ourselves going against the tide, battling against the winds of the prevailing culture of our day. But as Christians, that is what we are called to. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We've all heard unwholesome talk, haven't we? Not just in our workplaces. It's hard to often in our workplaces or our places of study or our families, but in churches. Even in churches. The stories that you hear at the minister's conference once a year. Uh, Sandy Weddle said to me, just as I, I, I had uh, finished my training, uh, he was appointed my mentor, made all sorts of wee perils of wisdom to give to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, he tried to, to warn me of, of some of the conversations that will go on even in churches. And how I had to be careful not to join in or to react against. And uh, he said, everyone, everyone has a gun, but make sure you don't give them any bullets by the words that you use. And it's always stuck in my mind. There are abundant opportunities in church to speak in ungodly ways uh, or to refuse to speak when we know that really we should say something. We have to be so careful. This is our high and holy calling in Christ Jesus. And James mentions teachers in, in verse 1. Of course, as, as teachers, whether it's teachers from up here or teachers in our youth groups, teachers in the fellowship groups, we have a great responsibility, but it's for all of us. It's a great challenge. But a wonderful opportunity to grow and to stand out to shine brightly for the Lord as we choose a better way and as we show a better way. As we speak wisely, as we speak well, as we build up, as we refuse to tear down, as we bless, as we encourage, as we ex exhort for the good of others. Choose to set your course towards the Lord and not away from the Lord. Don't drift with the prevailing current. Don't be carried along by the wind. Set your course towards the Lord. The power of the tongue to direct. James uses the illustration of the rudder on the ship and also the bit in the mouth of the horse. It's the same idea, but there's something a wee bit different in there, and that the horse is a wild animal by nature. And often the greatest trouble that we have is not the, the culture that surrounds us in the world or even in the church at times, not the pressure from outside to conform by gossiping or lying or uh, speaking unloving, unkind words. Often the problem is much closer to home. Our old nature is wild, like an untamed horse. 
And though we have been born again, though we have been made new, that old nature will come back at times. It will rear its ugly head. And we have to be aware of the danger. We have to be mindful of our weaknesses. And we have to put that old nature to death and live as the new creatures we are in Christ Jesus. We have to remind ourselves of who we are now in Christ as children of God, as followers of Jesus, as dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. And we have to speak and live in a way which befits that new identity. As such, we ought to take every thought captive for Christ and speak wisely and well for our Lord. So where is your speech taking you? What way are you heading? Are you being carried along by the current or are you intentionally heading towards your Lord, becoming more like Him, speaking better, not more eloquently necessarily, not more fluently necessarily, but speaking wisely, speaking in a way which honors Jesus, speaking in a way which points other people to Jesus. If, if the people in your lives had to, to, to describe God on the basis of the words that you use and the way that you use those words, what would that picture be like? Would they describe a God who is holy and pure? Would they describe a God who is good, a God who is loving and kind, a God who is faithful and true? Is that the kind of God they would describe as they as they think of the words that you use and the way that you use those words? Are your words directing other people towards God or away from God? It's a great challenge, a great challenge. But God empowers us to live the way that he calls us to live as we look to him. So secondly, picking up the pace a wee bit, uh, firstly, words of the power to direct. Secondly, words of the power to destroy, verses 5 to 6. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's hard to imagine stronger words, isn't it? I hardly have to describe the destruction that fire can cause. If you've watched your news recently, you'll see that, that, that great fire which continues to burn near Bolton. Uh, there are so many people fighting against that fire in so many ways, and still it continues to burn and to, 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 to destroy uh, with the fire which devastated the School of Art in Glasgow and the surrounding buildings. So much devastation, so much destruction from a tiny wee cigarette butt, you think. Something so small 
can lead to so much destruction, so much devastation. And then, of course, those horrible pictures of the Grenfell Tower, which have been on our screens in recent days again, from something so small to utter destruction, devastation, and death. This is a picture that James uses of the damage the tongue can do. Something so small can cause a fire, as it were, which will hurt and which will grow and which will consume and which will destroy and which will kill. Fire hurts. I wonder if you've ever been hurt by the fiery words of another person. Fire spreads. So when you're hurt by those fiery words, you either fire back or maybe someone you love, they fire back and then someone they love, you know, and it just grows, it becomes enormous. And often as you look at churches that have split in the most ugly and horrible ways, it can all be traced back to just one conversation. A few fiery words, and over time it becomes this enormous fire that no one can put out, and it does so much damage to the kingdom of God. It's tragic. It's a great challenge for, lo- for all of us. It destroys utterly, and what it doesn't destroy it defiles, it makes things unclean, unsafe, and unable to fulfill the function for which they were made. Great challenge. As different as we are, we can tame all sorts of animals, says James, but who can tame the tongue? Well, a fairly bleak picture so far, but James is about to offer some measure of hope. So Solomon says in Proverbs, the power of death and life are in the tongue. And James offers a couple of pictures of life in verses 9 to 13. You might miss them at first glance, but they're there. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth we come praising, sorry, come praising and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Did you see them? Pictures of life. Firstly, a spring, verse 11. A spring that brings forth water, which in turn brings forth life. Where there is water, there is life. We can use our mouths for praising God, and we can be the fresh water in dry and dusty places that are longing for life. There are people in our community that are 
longing for life, if only we would come alongside them and share the good news of Jesus. It can be a spring of life as we lead people to Him with our tongues. It's nothing more than being who we already are in Christ. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Be who you are and you will produce what God has created you to produce. So the expectation for James is that we will be a people who use our tongues to produce life and fruit in keeping with who we are. And he provides us, so we've got the picture of the spring that brings life, it's a picture, picture of the tree that brings fruit, and he provides us with a contrast between the wisdom of the world verses 14 to 16, and the wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17. How would your speech change? And all of these questions that I kind of throw out to you, I I take to myself as well. That's my my commitment. I I don't preach. I might say you, but I don't preach to you, something that I don't preach to me. I hope that's clear. How would your speech change if you resolved today to reject the wisdom of the world and to embrace the wisdom of heaven? James says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. That is a wonderful picture. Oh, to be able to speak words, you know, that, that, that flow from the wisdom of heaven. They're not clever words, necessarily. They are pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. They are the words of a peacemaker who will, in due time, raise a harvest of righteousness. May we be granted grace to walk in the wisdom that comes from heaven and to speak and to think and to live in a way that is all of these things because that is who we ought to be as children of God, as followers of Jesus, as dwelling places uh, for the Holy Spirit. And if we do, we will be perfect men and women. Did you notice Uh, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways if anyone is never at fault in what he says. He is a perfect man, perfect woman, able to keep our whole body in check. That perfect doesn't mean without sin. What James means here is mature. 
able to be used by God for the purpose that we have been made. Mature and complete, ready to be used by God in ways that far exceed our expectations. What did I say in the children's talk? It can be hard not to gossip when everyone else is gossiping. It can be hard not to lie when everyone else is lying. And they seem to get away with it. Even they seem to prosper for it. It can be hard not to use our tongues to hurt those who have hurt us. But we are called to be a people who are different. Not better, not better than anyone else out there, but different. We are called to be a people who are free. Free to live and to speak wisely and well with the wisdom that comes from another world. That is a mature Christian life to which the Lord calls us through his servant James this morning. And my earnest prayer is that we would live in that freedom, that we would walk in that wisdom, that we would speak wisely and well for the cause of the kingdom of Christ Jesus, for the honor and glory of God our Father, and for our joy in Jesus. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's be people who choose life. We stand to